0: <laughs> let's go
1: and happy new year everybody welcome back to the o2 podcast big man what's going on 2024
0: man i wrote that out for the first time today and it was weird always it's always weird right after the uh, i need a
1: change i think i've done that happy new year you too man did you have a good holiday hey,
0: I did. I had, a, had a had a had a had a great holiday. The kids' are, energy was high, and Christmas magic was high. What about you? Got through it all. Got through it
1: all. So, uh, on to bigger and better things for twenty twenty
0: four. Countdown, countdown towards turkey season. Andrew started.
1: How did we? How did I not see that coming? <laughs> yeah, it was softball. I did. I really did. Uh, let's see here. The Buckeyes look like dog shit, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, and I not know what game you're talking about. There's a team I up blacked north. out. There's a team up north that made it one step further. I'm going to drink bleach if they win. This might get canceled if uh,
0: if it ends up the way it looks. I out. like because we 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 have a a, a conversation uh, text thread with our buddy. uh, Old Glenn, no, no, who's no, a go ahead, die in the wool Michigan fan. Um, and I, I will give credit where credit is due. Michigan, uh, and I hate saying it, they are a good football team. They're good. Blake Corum is an exceptional running back. Uh, I hate it. I hate it with like every fiber of my being. And so whenever I compliment Michigan on any level, you're just like, shut up, Paul, you piece of crap. Like, <laughs> I get all worked up. I love it. I'm done. I'm not happy with you. You can't even talk. That's how upset you are. I love it. I feel like we can't even be friends when you make comments like that anymore. Uh, Tom Brady was also the greatest quarterback of all time. That sucks to say. That's all. That's all I got.
1: Browns are the playoffs. Here we go. More happy. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's good stuff. So Uh, anyways, enough about foosball. Uh, Let's see. We'll start off with... thanks to our partners, uh, go wild, uh, half rack, Blackgate, X vision, timber ninja. Um, uh, I'll still push, push the deer nuts. Uh, cause I believe in those, especially with late season here, bring those deer in. And I'll be honest with you, man. I don't know about you. If you still have cameras out, my cameras have gone all but dead. Um, I've been on the sidelines, so I haven't done much to, um, be out in the woods scouting, or moving cameras, or throwing deer nuts. I haven't even done, been able to do that. Not allowed to pick up over ten pounds still, but uh, to even get them, to see them. So I'm, I'm a big believer in, in that. But the uh, Blackgate cameras, thanks to those guys, Ryan and Justin. Um, when the camera, when the pictures do come through, they are still spectacular, uh, and cannot wait. Um, now, for me, I know you're big on turkey season, but for me, like the next big thing is shed season. So try to go and scout, find sheds, set new cameras, and I'll be all set there. People love it. Shed hunting to me is just like uh like it also
0: ran. You know, like I'm in the woods, owl hooting at turkeys or something. I don't know, man. No, there's there's a shed. I found a bunch and during during turkey season last year. So
1: it's like an adult uh, Easter egg hunt. Okay. It's like yeah, it's fun. to find them and your heart just lights up and yeah, but I will do it, but
0: it's not, it's not something that, uh, that I actively enjoy. I will say that.
1: How how I should don't... I, could I forget coyote season? I mean, I was driving yeah. around today, I saw a couple out in the fields, which <clears throat> you for you? no. So anybody from ATF that's listening, um, you can go ahead and approve that any day now so I can get that all situated. <laughs> is that where it's hung up It's hung up in i don't know that's how it goes through it gets, gets caught up in the government like everything else so um G man yeah but and uh finally to the guys go wild thank you uh for your support and go check out go wild if you haven't already lots of good stuff on there so yes it is oh, what's it okay paul because you're the one the brains behind the operation there but the 2 podcast.com is our website. And on there, we've got our shop up that would give you, gives you access to all of our shop. Yeah. It's just uh, an online, it's
0: an online store, just like anything else. Bass pro shops, Cabela's go wild, whatever you've used. It, yeah. Like there's a, a ton of products there. It's sorted into category, nice and easy to use good pricing. It's just, it's, you know, if, if you're used to buying your hunting gear online, Check it out. Yep. Ton of, ton of products. So that's all I got.
1: That's it. So um, let's see. Let's see if we got Did any news used? from the state. I do know one thing that I got an email about the other day. We have a public lands pint night uh, presented by Onyx from the backcountry hunters and anglers. So the Ohio chapter of the BHA on January 18th from six to nine at the land grant brewing in Columbus. Um they're gonna have their Ohio Wildlife Management Association or they will be there with the Ohio Wildlife Management Association to kick off 2024. So that'd be, that'd that could be, be, be fun. Those pint nights are they're they're a lot of fun. Put that one on your calendar. January eighteenth, six to nine land grant brewing Columbus. And let me see what other things I have here. Uh, ODNR is to host the Lake Logan open house on January 27th at the Hocking Hills lodge. More information at Ohio DNR. Um, this is one I was, I was like, and we just were reading little snippets stuff from ODNR's releases, but they talk about using Christmas trees to serve as wildlife building blocks. Um, so if you've got a Christmas tree, Um, I've seen people throw them in ponds for like bass habitat. Um, I always take mine out back and just put them out there for in the pasture for whatever animals for getting underneath. I'm sure there's something like that. Yeah,
0: rabbits probably get in there and and all sorts of stuff like that. So Yeah, if not. Did Did you see the dwarf buck that the hunter shot down in? I think it was in Florida. It was like the size of your dog.
1: Aren't all deer in Florida about the size of my dog?
0: Dude, it was. i mean, It was a dwarf deer. So it had a 125 inches of antler on this thing. <clears throat> Mississippi, that's what it was. Mississippi, but it was. Yeah, it was. A, it was a dwarf, a dwarf deer, dwarf buck. That's crazy. Pulled it up on OutdoorLife.com. It was the crazy.
1: What else we got? Uh and I are celebrating 75 years of conservation. It's got to be longer than that, right? What is it? I don't know. DNR, the DNR. So
0: wildlife. I got my hat on. Actually, Department of Wildlife, 150 years. So the DNR, I think it's their, it's their turn. So gotcha. Department of Wildlife, Department of Natural Resources, two separate state agencies.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Waterways Safety Council meeting is January 30th. It's open to the public, and that is, let's see, there's a virtual option or it is a virtual option. So there's a link and stuff if you go to OhioDNR.gov for that. Um, put out a notice about being careful in cold water this winter. If you're out duck hunting or meandering or whatever, just be careful with all of that. And, yeah, I think that's about it from around the state, Paul.
0: It's it, man. I'm looking for something fun, but, <coughs> yeah, there we go. Thanks for listening. Who do we got today?
1: Mr. Pete. This is a good one.
0: What a great episode. What a great man.
1: You and Uh, I struggled on this one because it's a really good episode. And I didn't want, we didn't want to get lost in the beginning of the year shuffle. So hopefully if you don't catch this, the week it comes out, you catch it after the fact, but this is a good episode. Really good episode. Uh, Pete is awesome. Super down to earth. Has a lot of experience. And I look forward to having him back on here in the future. Yeah,
0: he had a great perspective on his 30-plus years with the, the Department of Wildlife and just some of the changes that he's seen from an agency perspective, from a societal perspective. It was just a phenomenal phenomenal interview. Pete's a great dude. so that, I mean, it's, it's easy to talk to people like him for sure. So, Pete, thanks for your service to the state of Ohio, to hunters, anglers, outdoor recreators. And, uh, yeah, this is a good one. Enjoy it.
1: And I hope that Pete will come back on the show. It sounds like he will. Like we talked about him, kind of want him to be like our Gene Skeletor, you know, the rules analyst. Like if anything comes up in the state of Ohio, we'll go to, you know, instant replay with him. But um, that'd be fun. Either way, it's good conversation. We hear about Pete's career. Uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. And we'll keep keep moving forward. So anything else, man? I
0: think that's it, man.
1: Yeah, that's it. Short and sweet. So we'll uh, (laughs) – Talk to you guys next week and uh, be safe out there. Good luck. If you get out in the woods.
0: See you guys. Okay. Not got a lot. When we did, when we did that one with, um, with director Mertz. Yes. She is, she is great. She's awesome. Yeah. The way that she handled the questions and just, I mean, yeah, she, she is, she is great. I, I feel, um, and I can say this because you know most most people don't work with multiple state agencies. Obviously, I mean you, you do, but through my work, I work with thirteen different state agencies. Yes, and like all the time, I, every every week I'm working with. Like Roger Shields from Tennessee is my guy that I've been working with, often on this week, and I really like Roger. But we are we are very fortunate, I think, in the state of Ohio to have have people like you and Director Mertz and Chief Wecker and and Brian. Branberry. I can't ever remember. Ban- 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 yeah. Ban- what a yeah. guy. Yeah. Um fun to be around. And, yeah, and share a shot. It's it's a good it's a good crew. So we are we're very fortunate um
1: to to have you guys
0: work hard.
1: Very kind. This so. morning, uh we are we are very blessed to have Pete Novotny uh joining us. Uh Pete has had a lifelong career with the uh I always screwed up, would it be the Ohio Division of Wildlife? That's right, Andrew. Okay, officially. Um, And we met Pete up at the BHA event there, Paul, like you mentioned. um, Pete, can you give us a quick background? Introduce yourself to the the audience. Yeah. Uh,
2: So um, my name is Pete Novotny. I've been in wildlife conservation field for almost three decades. I kind of have a unique background. Um, Back when I was hired, um, I grew up in Cleveland. I nobody hunted or fished in my family. I went to uh um college, got a biology degree pre-med. I think my mom's still a little pissed.
1: Where'd you go but, to school? Uh,
2: <laughs> Wittenberg University. Okay. And uh and then I got into this field with uh not a whole lot of background. And when I was hired on, I, I did a seasonal work in our Columbus office answering the phones. And I was quickly uh, hired on into the academy. Um, so I entered the division through our law enforcement ranks. And there was 30 of us and at the academy. And I was hearing all these stories of the tradition of hunting being passed down through generations. And people saying this is the only job I've ever wanted. And I wasn't like that. And uh, so I had was an adult onset hunter. Um, I had a, uh, college roommate that, that took me along for the first time. Um, but I was not avid and, uh, I've quickly found out through the culture of who we are as an agency, um, really focused a lot of, um, value to somebody that is an avid hunter and fisherman, um, But what I did like in the academy was the idea of the shooting sports. And that's where I found my niche of being an advocate for um, the shooting sports, being an advocate for the Second Amendment to really hunting in the Second Amendment and the shooting sports are tied so tightly. Uh, Having that idea through my career, I I went from – columbus to harrison county which was the second least populated county in the state Uh, there's still only three stoplights in the whole county and that's where i still live Um, and it's in the appalachian region of ohio and that was a culture shock uh, going from a place where i barely had new neighbors in cleveland to harrison county which was part of the community and um My lovely wife Kara, and we—that's was her hometown, and that's where we settled in and um, raised two boys. And through there, I had a just awesome, fun career of starting into the field for a couple of years, about six years, being in Harrison County Wildlife Officer to a uh, our next rank, which is kind of like a sergeant over the southern part of the Northeast District. Um 2015, I went up to be district manager of uh, District 3, Northeast Ohio, and then uh, was able to serve in Columbus for my last six years. And, uh, and it was time to uh, ride into the sunset, and uh, it's been an awesome career, and not only awesome to be part of the, the team, but the community. Uh, you know, BHA events, National Wild Turkey events, um, to feel so appreciated by the people that you're serving. Uh, the one thing I do tell cadets um, in my current role, I, uh, I oversee our law enforcement group, our fiscal, our federal aid. Uh, we have an aviation uh, wing and I handle the administrative side. And the one thing that I get to do is uh, get my hands on the cadets when we hire officers. And the first thing I say is, you know, you just have, uh, congratulations, you just have about 11 million bosses in Ohio, because you know, you're there to serve. And um, it's been been a blast to,
1: to do. So Pete, what year did you start officially with uh, the department?
2: So officially with the department is 95 um, I was in the, in the 96 class of uh, wildlife officer class and, uh, quickly, uh, got out of the Academy and, um, started my enforcement
1: career. 95. I think I was in about fourth grade. I, I'm not yeah, right. I'm just trying <laughs> think. to think, think back because that's a long, it's a long time ago, but it's not right. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as the years go on and Paul, I'm sure you feel the same way. It just goes by very fast. Um, so thinking back to that point, though, a lot's changed, right? Um, 1995, 1996, I watched that Unabomber documentary back when they had a Netflix a couple yeah. years ago. But that was a big thing back then. And I remember during one of the press conferences, you know, they're, they're giving out, you can check us out at the website, www.fbi.gov or whatever. And that was new, right? This idea of the Internet and, and all that kind of stuff. And now we're logging harvest from our phones and buying tags from our phones and, and all this other stuff. What, what has changed from your perspective from back then up until this point?
2: Yeah. It's it's, everything. Yeah. What hasn't changed and to be, um, I think the one, some of the things I'm very proud of is uh, I, I do embrace um, the change mindset and developing opportunities. Um, I think with wildlife agencies in particular, we are so embedded in this idea of tradition, that decisions that were made 20 years ago um, sometimes get to be the sacred cow that you can't revisit. Good reasons, I'm sure, but, you know, I think there's a difference between honoring the past and trying to recreate the past. Um, you know, we want to honor the past, but we have to be honest about the present, and hunting, obviously, hunting has changed so much, and, you know, we, um, the division is a, uh, you know, hunting and fishing agency, but I think in the present, you know, what we need to um, have some discussions about and bring the community along as being a fish and wildlife agency that advocates for hunting and fishing. And I think there's a big difference between that. And um, Americans are very clear that hunting and fishing, whether they do it or not, is a right, is built in the foundation of America. And we need to embrace that but we also need to recognize that there's a lot of people that didn't grow up with that perspective. And I was one of them. And I spent my whole career protecting the right to hunt and fish and the shooting sports. And, um, but I'm not an avid, I'm not an avid hunter and I want that to be okay. um, because I am seeing the people that we're hiring that are huge advocates for the outdoors and connecting people, but they didn't grow up in a household that hunted or fished. So what do we as an agency get to do is we get to take these people that want to provide that, that, that right to everybody, but we got to give them the skill sets to give them an opportunity to jump into what's called the R3 movement, you know, and and we can be the agency that takes a person that is a great employee that wants to, that is signed up for being intellectually supportive of hunting and fishing and giving him or her the opportunity to learn because they didn't, they didn't grow up in that household. And that's where I think the evolution of the changes is that Um, I would love to hire, we hire the best people in the division wildlife in Ohio, whether the person comes from a hunting or fishing. I I remember in my interview, they asked like, you know, show us your, basically show us your hunting license and show us your, and ask questions about, you know, you're on Lake Erie and, uh, what lure are you going to use for, um, going after walleye? which is awesome. But as, you know, being honest about the present that as more families don't have that tradition that's being passed down, there's a void that we can fill as an agency and institutionalize this. Um, And I think that's the most exciting part of what I was able to, to help foster the last year was we hired, um, a group of wildlife officers from brand new cadets and we institutionalized R3 where we spent a, a, you know, a week, 10 days. Um, part of their curriculum was being outside handling guns, going out, understanding what a turkey hunt or deer hunt, getting in a tree stand and they're awesome employees. They just never had the opportunity. And so I, that's what I'm most excited about.
1: So, and you're saying like back when you got hired most people were coming into the the division with a yeah. background now you're seeing more that don't right yes okay. and and i think from my experience
2: i want to i wanted to support those people that didn't and make them feel loved. because oh. i know for me it was really hard because i didn't have those stories and i didn't have the background And it was hard to ask somebody to teach me at that point, things that I wanted to to learn and be exposed to. But, you know, like anything in life, when you don't have that background, it takes some courage to, to ask for help. And, uh, because I was afraid they would look differently. Like I wasn't a true wildlife officer if I didn't have that background or that
1: skill set. Well, and I think that's, that's a really important point because there's three guys sitting on this call right now. And it sounds like we all came from the same background, right? My family didn't hunt fish. Dad was, I mean, they're completely conservative and behind it, like you said, that population that has no problem with it, but it was uh, not what they did. And then to get interested in it. And now, I mean, uh, I spent at least a week, we spent at least a week on the show uh, talking about outdoor stuff. Paul, we base our calendars around it. You're working for an organization that's completely conservation and hunting focused. Pete, you spent your whole career doing that. So there is definitely a demographic there, and I think that's that is really important. And uh, I'm excited to hear that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's there's a there's a especially if you if I had a great conversation with someone the other day, and and his statement was, social media isn't real, um, and it 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 isn't, but it definitely influences the conversations that we have in real life and the feelings that that people have and the actions that people do in real life. Um, a lot of those originate from social media and, and R three. Might as well be a four letter word on social media for a lot of people. And it's, it's, um, for me, it's a, I like having that conversation with people. Um, <clears throat> I was very much a, 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 I was a product of R3, but not in the sense of like an, you know, an institutionalizer or, or an event through the NWTF or the state of Ohio or Dear Associate, whatever it is. It was a friend of mine said, Hey, uh, I grew up doing this. I think you'll really like it. I was 25 years old. And I mean, it, Drastically changed the course of my life for the good, um and and so there's a lot of people very like protectionist minded about that. So so how how can how can state agencies specifically you know, kind of combat that? There's a lot of hard feelings with people about R three. I'm, I'm, so one, how can you guys combat that? And two, why is it important to have R three conversations in place? Yeah, I th-
2: I th- that's a great question, Paul. folks um, so for me. It was the way we handled in the past was if we knew somebody that didn't have as strong as the background, we would send them off into the field and we would tell the neighboring officer, hey, mentor this person. Right. Um, I think the unintended consequences of that strategy was we were actually sending a message that this person didn't really belong and we got to bring them up to speed to be part of us. So what we did recently is we developed a whole training course for our officers and we invested and we institutionalized. Everybody got the same thing. And so whether somebody was starting at zero or somebody that's been a lifetime um, hunter, they got the same training. And so it's not like a big deal. And it wasn't a big deal to, to send somebody that didn't have that strong, strong background. Now, you know, through that training, we, we talked about our history of conservation. We talked about, you know, the conservation model. We talked about how hunting is an important part of our community. Um, but we also gave people the opportunity to, to do, to, to to sit in a tree stand, to understand what, you know, with duck hunting and the intricacies of, you know, what, what people are going to use and how they set up decoys, and um, and then we carry it over to trapping. And so, institutionalizing it, I think, takes away any type of stigma that occurred when I was let go you know into the field. And so, you know, that's a perspective that I was able to bring from my beginning days, knowing that I didn't feel great about that and having to kind of fake it through. To, hey, this is important. We're going to institutionalize it, and it's it's okay.
0: What, um, why, why is it important for the state to, when you talk about the conservation model? So, wh- so why is it important for the state to care, and for hunters and anglers to care about more people coming into the outdoor pursuits? Why is yeah. that important? Within so, the model that we that we have in this country,
2: so I think it, so. The model Paul has is at times been argued as a funding model, right? Um, I think as a hunter myself, as an angler myself, you know, when somebody says you know I'm against hunting, the first kind of argument I dig into the bag and pull out is well, hunting funds all these things that you enjoy, um, which. You know, to argue facts with somebody, maybe that's I'm talking about it, the emotional side of hunting is is a is where conflict, I think, can be reinforced. Um, what I have found is a better argument, and it's actually scientifically. Where there was a uh, debate. Um, the uh, um, there was a multi-state grant, and a multi-state grant is basically a grant that. Uh, is funded at the national level to provide benefits for all uh, fish and wildlife agencies Um, there was a grant that was uh, funded for uh, looking at the debate of hunting and so they brought in a debate team the debate coach and then they scientifically looked at what is an effective argument you know what what is effective what is not so where do you, where do you get exposed to the anti hunting and the number one thing and i have it's funny to to know this information now and reflect back um the public americans want to know that hunting is done humanely and if you would use the word humane in my circles somehow that's animal rights and we've allowed the animal rights groups to own that space, that word humanely. But to the majority of Americans that don't hunt and don't fish, but want to respect the rights, they want to know that it's done humanely. And I think that is a really good thing to start thinking about is we can talk about the funding model, which you're alluding to that every license is, is uh, put into a coffer. That is matched through the federal excise tax that funds what it's called the North American Wildlife uh, Conservation Model. It's the world's best model for conservation, and it is done a billion dollars uh, every year get put into this to uh, go back to the states for wildlife conservation. Incredible model. Well, we have to add to it. It has to be. We have this model and we are going to put regulations in place to make sure that hunting is done humanely. We have to talk about hunting is a humane way of, of harvesting and handling. But I think we, we look at that word humanely and we, we've kind of let the people that are against hunting to own it. Because when you, when you talk to the people that, that are against hunting, hunting but you they wanted it, the vast majority of those people when you talk about it humanely they're with you the, there's only a very small sector that is uh, against any type of animal usage very very small but the majority I mean, is in that that big spot of humane as long as it's done humanely and responsible.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got the largest hunting anti-hunting organization in the country has, you know, the word humane in their in their in their name, and that's uh, that's absolutely right. They've 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 owned that. Um, you know, I I I've been getting over a cold, Pete, so I'm a little I'm a little uh, off my off my game. You'll have to you have to forgive me here. I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. I, I had a I had a question that I want to I wanted to ask you, and it's it's very much about kind of the uh, so. Uh, I, I went down to Fairfield high school in Southern Ohio last year, and I spoke to, uh, their conservation science class. And, uh, the first, first question I asked, I said, are there any hunters? And they, you know, a couple of kids raised their hand. I said, are there any non hunters, a bunch of kids raised their hand. And I said, are there any anti hunters? And, and that was, and I said, I'm not, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm not going to shame you. I just, I just, I just want to know. And so there were a couple that raised their hands and, um, and so later in the class, I asked, I asked one of the girls, she was kind of more vocal. You know what? The, the one, I probably participated more than, than any of the kids mm-hmm. during that day. And so I asked her, I said, well, why, why, why are you an anti-hunter? And I, and I know, and, and I was hoping in my mind, I'm like, I hope it's uh, well, cause my parents are, and she, and and it was basically along the lines of like, you know, well, I think it's inhumane was the question. And so, so I wanted to see, th- this was my response, you know, and, and i I'm not the first person to say this, but there are no good deaths for wild animals in nature. There are no easy deaths. It's 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 starvation, it's disease, it's injury, it's predation by either something with four legs or something with two and a gun and a bow. There are no easy deaths for wild animals in, in, in life. And so at the hands of a hunter, it's humane, it's mm-hmm. ethical, it should be, right? It's quick and yeah, you know, we use those animals to feed our families, and and yeah. You know, so there's all these like positives that, that that come from that. And at the end of that class, I was like, "Is there anyone in this class that that wants to go hunting but doesn't have the opportunity?" And this girl was one of the like she raised her hand. I'm like, "Damn, did I?" That was cool.
1: Awesome. Doing God yeah. work, and, Paul. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I was just like, "Oh crap!" Like she like she like shot her hand up. I'm like, "Oh my god!" And so mm-hmm. we ended up through a foundation, we got her out on a turkey hunt this year, which was pretty cool. But I think that, like that, like you said, people people are willing to support hunting. Non hunters are willing to support hunting if it's humane, if it's ethical, and that's a tall. it's not a tall. It's tall, It's not a taller. But it's a. It's a. It's a. It's a communication battle with people. It's like communicating what we do, and so the state has done that. I mean, you guys have done a lot, lot of work. Um, how how has that changed? Like communicating, you know, the the story of hunting. From 1995, when you started, to 2023, how has that message changed?
2: I think it's still a work in progress. Um, I think it's still evolving. Um, I I know. Uh, so so we know when you when you speak about hunting, if if you focus in on the the sport, you say the word sport and hunting, you're already lost like half your audience. Um, if you talk about the word trophy hunting you lost half your audience and so is there a way to celebrate our tremendous deer herd rather than our tremendous Ohio bucks is there a way to talk about um, you know the eastern turkey is you know whether it's a fall season or a spring season with a big you know huge bird with big spurs and But talk about how they take that harvest and how they feed their family. Talk about how they take that harvest and share that protein with their neighbor. Uh, You know, we had a tremendous opportunity during the COVID time. How scared I was when I saw the shelves for protein go empty. I... That legitimately was a scary moment, and I remember somebody putting on you know the internet like it's nice to know a hunter now and i had I had a deer in my freezer that we we use for my family um but I think that supply chain of protein is a story that we need to build upon locally sourced protein um that is a way to connect with people that. Uh, so we started a food kitchen, uh, w- a, like a food trailer, where we take this event to to different events, and we celebrate, you know, providing some wild game to the uh, the public. And I think that's a really good way, and it's a smart way because it's based on science to to social science to connect with people to the outdoors.
1: Pete, did you see a pretty good bump in? just general activity during COVID. I know um, I think license sales and everything was up, but from the department's perspective of being busy and that kind of stuff.
2: So we, us Americans are a funny bunch. We tell people to say, stay inside and whether they want to do get outside and they came in droves because we know that being outside, and this is the second piece, Paul, that I would, I would share with messaging, being outside is so valuable for people's mental health. Um, I would love to see a study that is funded by somebody that puts, that looks at the health of a hunter during the fall season. Whether you're measuring their heart rate when uh, their activity level, their heart rate when they get into a tree stand, I bet you, or the stress, I bet you would see it drop.
1: I bet you would see. The health benefits People. drop until that moment. <laughs> I have this. I have this. Okay. So I wear this thing on my wrist and it, it, it monitors stress. Right. And I, Paul, I showed you this a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. sitting there in the stand and, um, I had a direct correlation. Like it, it's monitoring my stress. I'm at this low level, right? Super chill, not moving. Then, um, the camera went off. And at the same time as all this stuff is very close to each other, I had these deer come walking in and everything went through the roof, right? My stress level went really high. It was the the adrenaline rush that we talked about, right? And I'll tell you, I had no intention of shooting these deer, but no, and I wasn't moving a muscle. There was no physical strain happening at all, but I was completely chill. And then it just shot up for the 15 minutes or so they were there and then back down. And it was like amazing when I went back and looked at it because when I think about stress and strain, it's like work or it's, you know, working out and that kind of stuff. No, I was not moving a muscle during that. Yeah. It was crazy, crazy.
2: So I, Andrew, I think that's what that is an opportunity that I hope the community thinks about is um, is to look at the actual health benefits from a heart, because I think that would grab a whole different type of generation that is going to be a younger demographic and what a great thing to tell your partner hey instead of going to the gym i'm taking care of my health by going out you know chasing uh chasing deer in the back forty um but as far as i know there hasn't been a wide a, over the large landscape of this country to measure you know the health of a hunter during the fall season uh, i would bet you um That for some people, they live a sedentary lifestyle, and then when the hunting season comes, all of a sudden it goes up. They're doing a bunch of walking. They're doing a bunch of exercise. I bet you stress levels when they get into this tree stand and measuring the difference between stress and adrenaline dump, I think, would be out. I think it's really important. Because if I was to go to a a person that never had this background and say, why would you do it? And I would argue... It's because I'm going to feed my family clean protein and it's healthy for you. And here's the data that supports this idea. I think that would be a really smart way of trying to draw in people to this incredible tradition that we have.
1: Pete, I think we just stumbled upon somebody's master's or PhD thesis. Uh, right. Because yeah. you really could, between the mental health and then the physical health, uh, I've talked about the deer I drug out of the ravine this year and, and over in Pennsylvania, I was over there helping those guys drag one up a mountain. I mean, it was stupid that physically taxing, right. Then mm-hmm. the food source is clean, lean, all that kind of stuff. Um, you could yeah, that it would be a really good, uh, project dissertation, whatever on, um, you know, all the, the health benefits of hunting,
0: man, I don't know, Pete, my, my first turkey hunt was the first week of March. Mm -hmm. my last turkey hunt is like right before memorial day and i don't sleep i don't eat i lose weight i'm stressed out the entire time i'm driving (laughs) you know i drove i drove 19 hours straight one time without stopping to get for a turkey hunt so i don't know where you guys are coming up with this (laughs) well it looks like we got to manage your stress paul uh betterly
2: right uh But all the walking, all the exercise, all the excitement oh, yeah. to get outside is, is benefiting your mental health and it's benefiting sure. all of our mental health when you're outside in the right way of doing business. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's absolutely true. But I had the opportunity to serve on the, na- uh, in our national organization, which is called the association of Fish and wildlife agencies. And I led, I was the committee chair for the hunting and fishing or hunting and, and shooting sports uh, participation committee, and this is where this was headed. So, i uh, I am looking forward to somebody picking up that that baton, and and sitting down and figuring out, okay, how are we going to do this study where it's we can get some real good scientific data on the health of hunting, and then maybe once we have that, when somebody goes into their doctor's office or their annual visit, they get a prescription that in the month of October we'd like to see you out there for one day a week to, to be outside. And whether it's hunting, hiking, backpacking, camping, or just bird watching, um, to get Americans to be very purposeful in their time to be outside. And I think that's what COVID to get back to the original question about COVID. Um, we had time and when you had time, we made, we, we, you know, Americans did things they normally wouldn't do, whether it was sourdough bread or you know, doing all these things that we just didn't have the time. And and shame on us. That once we got out of this, got out of this plague, we we forgot those things that were important just a couple months ago. And so maybe it's our role to remind people of those empty shells and remind people of those the mental health aspects.
1: All this is very interesting because one of the first things you said is that we have a great model and things have to, you know, things have changed. They have to evolve. Right. And I, in hearing all this, I'm kind of thinking about it. You know, America was founded, you know, a couple hundred years ago, people hunted and fished and did the outdoors because they had to right now it's, it's evolving um, that we don't really have to, but it can, benefit us and the health and, be- and and wellness and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that is something, I mean, it's just kind of a light bulb in my mind that, um, that I don't know that we think about all that often. I mean, we, we do it because we like to go out. We like the challenge, but it's also something that is benefiting us uh, as everything continues to evolve. So.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that, um, you know, to reflect about, past and present is um, with this idea that we're bringing in people to we want to bring people into this opportunity to participate Um, within the law enforcement group uh, we started looking at our laws and um, I will tell you that there's a lot of laws on our books that once they're in print they're or just like assume that it was it's really important to carry over for eternity, and sometimes these laws were developed because an officer got beat on a beat on something, and you know a case, and uh, say, hey, that can never happen again, and so we're going to write this law, and and well, we'll write another one, and well, if somebody beat us here, we'll write another one, and so. Uh, something I'm very proud of as I'm walking out the door is that we took a critical look at our regulations and started thinking about, okay, what is this regulation necessary to, is it necessary? Is it a barrier? Because I will tell you that all the stories that I want to tell about know hey, I caught this person and this person went to jail and this person did this and Um, and, and there's a criminal element that absolutely we need to celebrate when our officers do their wonderful work and, and pursue these criminal cases. But I will tell you that our officers now are balancing between going after the true criminal to balancing out honest mistakes and, we are critically looking when we get a bunch of mistakes. Let's look at the law and understand if that is a barrier to R3. Because I think if I was to go into this and I pick up the regulation book and it's a huge book of, you know, do, don't do do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I think it sends a message. And then if I pick up, let's say, an outdoor newspaper and I open it up to the, the section where somebody's getting a $500 fine for not tagging the deer the right way or um, wasn't, you know, doing this the right way. I might go, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to step into that? I'm reading and going, and this is the only context I have is that this person went to jail. (laughs) This person got fined this much. And without the context of that's not 99% of the people that we deal with, I think that could be an intimidating, it could be a barrier. So, I, you know, we challenged ourselves to take a look at all our regulations and talk about deregulating, talk about really circling around what's important for safety, what's important for humane uh, harvest. But there's a lot of things that we held on to, or we still hold on to that, you know, it's because 20 years ago, one of the officers got. You know, beat on a case, and so we've put a regulation that really doesn't make a difference. And once it's in book, there just wasn't a critical eye going back and and saying, "Hey, this is this is still important," or "No, it's not." And it's going to be okay if we don't have it.
1: Pete, that's super refreshing to hear. I'm going to be really honest with you because um, I know when I travel to different states, and I know you have nothing to do once it goes across state lines, but man, it's like, I am I know I'm probably doing something illegal. I don't mean to, um, but it's either not in the book or it's the fine print or that kind of stuff. And it, it almost does deter you from wanting to travel or to, to go, even in Ohio, to go do something because you're like, I don't know if this is right or wrong. And um, I had won a controlled hunt earlier this year and I had to, I ended up calling one of your officers, um, what have been, Mahoning County or Tuscarawas County, up that way, Mm-hmm. just to get a clarification on it. And to be honest with you, even the printout that I had wasn't, it didn't tell me exactly what I needed to know. This guy gave me a number that I hadn't, you know, I, I think that it was like, you could take not. Don't quote me on this nine deer or something on the, or Antlerless deer. And I'm like, well, where did you come up with that number? It's not in my, my separate printout. It's not in the book. And, and I didn't even have a chance at nine deer, nor would I have taken nine deer, but like, that was one of those things. I'm just like, where, how do I even know that, you know, it could have been two deer or three or I don't know. It was one of those things that I'm just like, is this even worth it? Like I'm walking into it. I don't yeah. want to say a trap, but you know what I mean? So, you
2: know, I, I agree, Andrew. And, you know, there's so much nuance to some of these laws that uh, there's opportunity for us to do a better job. And I'm very, um, very happy to say that as I walk out the door, um, that, Candy Klosterman, who's our uh, law enforcement kind of chief, um, she is going to be picking up that torch and and working on this to make sure that we're serving people the right way. Um, This cannot be a "I gotcha" uh, moment, and I think there's a difference. um,
1: Absolutely. And I mean, we, we, we hear stories on podcasts or in the news or whatever of people that are real poachers, right? That are right. out doing things that are they are, should, should not be doing. It is very clear cut. That's not, we want to, as somebody who supports law enforcement in general, um, I want you guys to go get them because it's taken away from us, right? And that's a big yeah. thing.
2: And I will tell you that our staff, our law enforcement team is some of the best trained in Ohio. If I did something wrong, I definitely wouldn't want one of my county officers chasing after me because they are so good at their job. Um, they talk to people. They are some of the best interview and interrogators in the state, um, and they want to go after the bad, bad group. They know the difference. They they don't. There's not one officer that I we have in the division wildlife that is um, looking forward to a very obscure law to make a person a criminal they are our officers are there on people's worst day of their lives they're heroically going into places that they know that there's somebody a criminal out there with a gun and they're gonna hunt that person down in the woods and they're gonna do it to the way they're trained and they're going to pick up that phone at three in the morning when there's a hot, steamy deer in somebody's trunk that just poached one off the neighbor's property down the road. And they're going to go respond and they're going to handle that appropriately. They're phenomenal people, phenomenal officers. I We have been doing community service since the day I started. This is not community policing. We've been doing it for 150 years and we continue to do it. But um, my enforcement team is absolutely the most dedicated, service oriented people. And I know their stories. If I get arrested, if I get a ticket uh, for driving too fast, so I come home and tell my wife, hey, Highway Patrol got me, right? But with the hunting community or angling, if you get a ticket for something, it was Pete Novotny wrote me a ticket. Or uh Brendan Eric wrote me a ticket. It's very personal. It's very and so you know, there was a we wear a badge to represent the agency and then we wear a nameplate to represent us and the family name that you were given. and you got to respect both.
1: It's
0: great It's a, yeah, it's it's a hunting and, and, and fishing. it's such a personal pursuit and activity for everybody that does it so i I, that makes sense that it's it's you know Pete gave me a ticket because it's yeah that's uh that's neat so i 1995 yeah you've got you've seen just you're listening think of like just how your life has changed and how the world has changed changed dramatically what what are some of those experiences that have kind of like shaped the evolution of your thought process i mean because obviously it you know 30 years of experience changes perspective and, and changes thoughts. How, how have you kind of evolved just personally and professionally over 30 years?
1: Uh wow, that's a that's a great question. This, um, this is hard hit oh, stuff. Yeah. I'm good at the good questions. I just get yeah, it. Right. <laughs> um no. Thank you for that.
0: Sure.
2: So I I've been involved in um, arresting people from murder, rapes, I've seen evil and I've seen people on their worst day where they lost a loved one, whether it was in a car wreck on my way to work or my patrol to, um, an unfortunate hunting accident or, um, you know, a bad thing happened that day. Um. My evolution was from starting as the person that was controlling, you know, there to provide assurance to the people on scene that authority was there. And I took that authority very seriously, that once I was there, I was going to exhibit the authority to provide control over the situation before it got out of hand. Um, to the evolution of when I was able to step into a a little bit of a oversight role where I was able to step back and watch the staff provide that feed, provide that necessary um, influence on the situation where I could support them or support somebody on their worst day, not as the officer, but maybe more of a role of um, kind of like a chaplain in a lot of ways. I mean, there was a couple really bad hunger incidents where I was able to step back, where the team was out doing the hard work of investigating and figuring out where things went, and I was kind of relegated to the family when they're on their worst day of their lives, and to be able to give to society that was pretty out just very blessed because I, I felt like I did that really well. Um and then taking a role into you know the next step of leadership where recognizing I wasn't the field guy or field officer anymore. You know, I was there in a different role. And to be an advocate for um the public and be an advocate for our staff to serve them. Um, is why I'm able to go through retirement where I'm, you know, on the verge of retiring next week. And I'm so proud of it because I've, the staff has been so kind in making this process meaningful to me Um, because they shared stories about things that I just wasn't aware that impacted them or, you know, the community. I, you know, I, I did a lot of work with the conservation clubs in Northeast Ohio and they are just, responded tremendously or NWTF chapter or EHA chapter and hearing the accolades of an appreciation of making it feel okay that I'm stepping away has been pretty awesome.
0: That's a cool legacy to leave, man.
1: Great. That's great. So. That's got
0: to make you feel good.
1: It does. Good. Yeah, it does. Well, Pete, what's on the, what's next on the docket?
2: So I got a great opportunity coming up uh i'll be working for the muskingum watershed conservation district i'll be their chief of recreation uh, which is a really important job for them and i i get a great job i uh i get to reimagine what recreation looks like on on these properties and nwcd is one of the largest landowners in eastern ohio and uh, it has an impact on everywhere from, you know, the Muskingum River, all the way through, you know, Licking County and up through the Ashland County and huge footprint. I grew up on these areas uh, in my career and um, to have an opportunity to go to them to help plan for future ways to connect people with the outdoors is who wouldn't want to sign up for that. And so um, it's going to be a natural transition for me and um so I'm super excited.
0: Congratulations. Awesome.
2: Thank
0: you. Yeah, that's a good group of folks there at NWC. They, 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 they do out. yeah, that's that's a what a great job. Good for yeah. you, man. I'm happy I'm happy Thank for you. Thank it. you. It's hard to leave in you, this community. <laughs> it's yeah, hard to leave in this it community. It is, man. Once you're once it's in, you know, it's got its claws in it, it's hard to leave. So what what do you you know, just from from your perspective, thirty years as a as an agency employee, what what do you think the next phase is for the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and the, and the Ohio Department of Wildlife?
2: Well, we, you know, Governor DeWine and Director Mertz have set the bar. They've reset the bar of what um, uh, a wildlife agency can can be under DNA. Um I think I was just, I I think 10 years from now to reflect back and go how lucky I was to live in those golden years for the department. H2Ohio, huge. Talking about a wildlife agency that's able to talk about clean water in a way that we'd never have is pretty awesome. Building wetlands left and right that is going to, um, they're not going to go away anytime in my lifetime. And it's kind of a legacy piece. The whole AEP grounds going into Appalachian Hills, um, where we basically, you know, doubled our acreage in a lot of areas, uh, under this team and having, you know, a Lieutenant governor that hunts and, and fishes and speaks so eloquently about why it's important and having, you know, sharing pictures of his daughter, uh, participating, I think is pretty great. And we have a director. Who, she, she's phenomenal. She's just a phenomenal leader. She pushes the staff hard, which is good. Because we're get they're getting things done, and um, it's, it's been inspiring to
0: serve under that team. We're in good hands. You're in good yeah, hands. We are. We definitely are. Great. We definitely are.
1: Well, Pete, I would love to have you come back.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Talk,
1: talk again. Maybe we'll get some of those war stories and some update sure. and stuff like that. Is
0: there? Is there? I mean, is there anything that 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 you have that's near and dear to your heart that you want to talk about? Is is a send off, or do, do you think we? I
2: I think I think I was able to to share some of those things. Yeah, I, uh, just how proud it. how proud I am of the team. Um, you know, I think just real quick, you know, when I when I came into Columbus, twelve um, percent of our staff was female and to understand the growing um the shooting sports their highest growing space is female participation angling the same way um i was able to shepherd in some um institutional changes to the way we do hiring to get still get the most highly qualified candidates that just happened to be um, female. And as I'm walking out the door with the last 150 hirings, 40% have been female employees that are killing. And uh, it was just the way that we had changed our perspective and our hiring practices to hire high, highly qualified candidates. Um, I think that's gonna serve us well because it brings a different perspective to discussions and it makes us a better agency. And it makes us understand people better so we can market why people should take up hunting and fishing and shooting sports.
0: Pete, thanks for your time, man. On Thank this you. Show, thanks for your service to the state of Ohio and, and congratulations, congratulations. The and anglers and wild and critters in this state. We awesome. Very, very grateful. Yep. Congratulations Thank
1: you, on the retirement. And we will talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. thanks.
0: I don't
2: want to go to work because my boss is a jerk and I'm not even that paid. I need a change in my life because I don't feel alive and there's nothing that makes me happy. Oh, hold my beer for a minute. I'm about to quit my job, cash in for a ticket. I'm going on a trip and I don't plan to visit. I'm going to stay there till I feel like I'm winning. Oh. And this is just the beginning. I need a big change. Help me feel like living. I need a big swing home runs. I'm hitting and I'll never look back moving on till I get it all. Oh.